independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. And welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, John Convertino from the seminal desert noir band Calexico. Calexico is a musical melting pot where traditional Latin and southwestern elements of mariachi, conjunto, cumbia, and tejano styles peacefully and harmoniously coexist with alt-country, indie rock, and a trace of jazz. Founded in 1996 by singer Joey Burns and drummer John Convertino at the University of California at Irvine, when the pair met while Convertino was playing in the group Giant Sand, Calexico started as a side project and grew to its current six members, and the band has a distinct musical identity of its own. John is joining us from his home in Tucson, Arizona, and very uh, welcome to Independence Day, John. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for appearing. I really, really appreciate it. You've guys, you guys have got this new soundtrack for the movie Circo coming up. And uh, so we've got a lot to talk about tonight. So, but first, let's get started with just a little bit of, of talk about the the background of Calexico. Um, I know you guys met, you know, not too far from here. Irvine is, you know, just about forty miles from Pasadena, where we do our show. And tell me a little bit about how you know where you know you and Joey were kind of the the genesis of this band. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, um, Joey had already graduated from uh, the university, and um, he. Actually, had just graduated when he joined uh, How Gelb and I in Giant Sand. Okay, so and, so you uh, were in Giant Sand, not um, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I joined up with How, and we were actually doing kind of a two-piece thing, um, just drums and guitar. And we did a, t- a few tours and a record doing that. And we thought the next logical step would be to add acoustic bass. And uh-huh. through a mutual friend, we met uh, Joey and had a like a two-song audition with uh-huh. him out in the desert, and um, he joined up with the band. And that's actually how it how it started. And I mean, I could go in depth through the years uh-huh. uh, of how it developed from there. But basically, it wasn't until we moved to Tucson from uh, California that really Calexico started. So, so you were. It seems like you were doing the White Stripes thing long before White Stripes was doing the White Stripes thing with guitar and, <laughs> and drums, right? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like uh, Lightning Hopkins and uh-huh. before before us, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of drum and guitar duos uh, throughout the ages, but yeah, it's a it's a great format actually. And Joey and I uh, did that too for quite a quite a few tours. Uh-huh. Um, I would uh, sometimes bring vibes, play vibes, drums, and uh, Joey would play guitar, and he'd have various pedals and. Uh-huh and do vocals, and we'd, we'd do the two-piece thing, which was really fun. Uh-huh. So were you, so you were playing more than just drums at this point? I mean, are you, are you, what were you studying, I guess? That's my most logical question. Were you guys in school, both in school at the time? And were you no, musician no, students? No, I, I wasn't. I, I never went to college, actually. Okay. I went to uh, the school of hard knocks right there on the road. I, right out of high school, started okay. playing in bands. You um, probably saved a lot of money. <laughs> yes, I did. Joey was, he took the other route. He was a good boy, and... Went to college and uh, he graduated, and his major was uh, acoustic bass. Uh huh. Okay. So he's he's a he's a bull fiddle player, upright player. So yeah. Now was he always kind of tinkering with other instruments back then? Because I know he, he primarily plays guitar now, correct? Yeah. No, definitely. He's he's well well versed in piano, and uh-huh. cello, and 
and anything with strings really he can yeah. get his hands on them and he can he can get it happening and and um he denies it, but I'm pretty sure he has perfect pitch because I see him in the studio a lot of times uh-huh. pick out melodies and after hearing him one time and stuff so was he that's, more... that helps a lot it's actually certain... and um you know, yeah, perfect pitch. I've always wondered. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think I have got a you know pretty strong sense of relative pitch. But for most of the people I know, especially in popular music, who have perfect pitch, I mean, it becomes almost a curse more than a blessing because, you know, bands, you know, especially if you're kind of a noisy band or an indie band, you know, kind of for lack of a better word, like sucking a little bit is kind of part of the that ethos, you know. Definitely. And and having perfect pitch seems like it would just drive you bananas. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of makes sense that Joey would join up with Giant Sam because it's it's very not perfect pitch. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now did he did he finish school before you guys moved out yeah. back east? Yeah, he he'd finished and he was actually working at SST Records there for a while. Uh-huh. Um, he was manning the phones there and uh-huh. and actually I think may have uh, talked to Howe a couple of times through through the label. Yeah. So were you, you know, were you and Joey, were you guys, are you from the Rivers? Are you from Southern California originally, or did you come here to do music, or how did, how did you wind up here? Joey definitely was born and raised there in uh, uh, Zanata Bay. I guess that's uh, um, San Vicente, uh-huh. or not San Vicente, but uh, I want to say, oh, Palos Verdes. Ah, uh, yes. Beautiful, bucolic up. Palos Verdes. Yeah. <laughs> So did you know how, what what got you out here? Was it music or something else? Yeah, music. Um, I was born in New York. I was raised pretty much in Oklahoma, and then I moved to Los Angeles uh, with a band. And you know, try this was in the '80s, and and we had a little batch of original songs, and we tried to get a record deal, and and it just like many, 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 many bands at that time trying to find a record deal. We didn't. And, uh, yeah. So I started just answering ads in papers and and just playing around. I actually played with a band called the Insect Surfers. Uh-huh. Uh, they still play around there. Wow. California. And um, it's a great surf band. So what was... You know, what was your main, like, before, like, for example, like, before you got into Calexico or before, you know, you got into Giant Sand, what was, what was your style? Because the 80s were such a hodgepodge of styles. I mean, you had, like, the new wave thing going. You, like, Tom Petty was still around. You had all the hair bands, and then Nirvana came in and killed all them. But what, like, what yeah. was your style? Like, what was your thing that, that made you do what you do? Well, I think what came out of um, my childhood, was, I grew up in a musical family, and my father was a classically trained pianist, but he had a lot of jazz records, a lot of, uh, uh, my mother was a singer as well, and, and they had a lot of the Broadway uh, musicals, a lot of jazz, a lot of classical. Yeah. That's what I really grew up playing, but of course, you know, when you become a teenager, you start playing, you know, your music and, right. and finding your own, you know, music that you want to, that's not your parents' music. And, you know, it's your basic stuff, your basic rock stuff. Uh-huh. I think a lot of kids uh, my age were listening to, you know, um, and being in a band that was trying to write their own music, but we were trying to get a record deal, so we were trying to follow somewhat what the trends were. Like you mentioned Tom Petty or uh-huh. Donna or, you know, the police or, you know, for me, I really loved the East Coast bands. I loved the Talking Heads and Blondie and... Um, 
I love Patti Smith and, uh, I, you know, the Ramones. If, yeah. If I had to go a little further back. Um, so now, but now you said you were, how old were you when you left New York? Like, did, did that influence you? Like, being out there, did that have a, like, were you old enough to have so. that influence you? I was you? too young. I was too young. Okay. I, I think it influenced me in that um, once I got away from there and in, and in Oklahoma, I was like, oh my God, I, this is a completely different world out here. Um, you know, and then by playing music, you know, you can tell, you can obviously tell the different styles. Even in jazz, you had the East Coast jazz, you had the West Coast right. jazz. So, now, where, so where did you land in Oklahoma? Was that for your, must have been one of your parents' jobs, probably? No, well, my mother, her side of the family was all from Oklahoma. And uh, my father's, uh, was, uh, the, his parents were Italian immigrants classic uh, immigration story of coming through Ellis Island. The Tony Soprano story. Yeah, pretty much. My grandmother, I always like to tell the story, my, my grandmother, uh, she worked for Spalding and uh, sewed catcher's mitts. Uh-huh. My grandfather worked in the steel mills and then uh, in the clothing industry. and You know, just hardworking uh, Italians, you know, that barely spoke English and and um, my father, he started playing when he was like 14, and, uh, playing accordion. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of that started coming out in the music later, this, uh, this connection to accordion music and, and the old world sound. And, and um, when the band got more popular, we started going to, to Italy and to Europe and, and picking up on, you know, the roots. Yeah. Yeah, it all goes in, you know, and yeah. I think that, you know, we're we're kind of in a weird place with the music business because um in some ways the the bins the well bins are gone, there's no more record label, but the in some ways the I feel as if the categories have narrowed so much that unless you fit into one of these little prefabricated holes, you know, you you really aren't going to get any attention from what's left of the record labels, but that's kind of cleared out a lot of space for a lot of other bands who are very experimental and, you know, aren't concerned about fitting into a bin or, or, or conforming. And it allows right. you some freedom to kind of do whatever, you know, follow whatever your muse is. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a really good point when you realize that there isn't a bin anymore. Yeah, exactly. No bin to go to. Exactly. You know, and it's funny too, because, you know, I, you know, Tom Petty for some reason comes up a lot because I, I feel like he represents quality spanned out over several decades you know, and just a lot of kids, you know, he's probably a dinosaur, but the quality of his work all the way through, whether you like him or not, you know, you can't really argue with the guy's ability to write snappy poppy songs, you know, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and now, and, and then in the, the aughts, <laughs> and then yeah. even in this decade now, too, you know, he, he sure, maybe he's a dinosaur, but boy, is he a talented dinosaur. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like Chrissy Hine held on to that, too, uh-huh. has kept her her fire and... Um, I mean, even Debbie Harry, you uh-huh. know, she's always, always trying something new, trying, trying, um, to push the envelope and. Yeah. David uh, Byrne's a great example of that because David he. David Byrne as well. Yeah. He's, he's cycled through, like he, he's kind of a, he's got a he's a Bowie-esque guy where he, he'll cycle through different styles and he'll experiment and maybe everything, or even Neil Young for that matter, not everything's great. You know, you got that whole trans period for Neil. 
but you know, it's he's always searching, and I think that's essential for music. So, but let's let's tie it back into you know Calexico just a little bit. So you you met you met Joey, and you started doing this two piece thing. And how how long was the band just kind of the two of you? Well, it probably went like that for a couple of years. Um, it was it wasn't until we finished our our uh, first official record, which was the Black Light, uh-huh. and um, it was released on a label in uh, Germany, and um, the, the label head, he really wanted us to come tour, and, and he wanted us to have a full band, and uh, we were like, well, there's no way we could afford that, and you can't afford it either, and then he got this brilliant idea to bring this other band, he was all at the same time, this band called Lamb Chop, uh-huh. because they had some trumpet players, and... Um, some other multi-instrumentalists. And he also had a brother-in-law who played trumpet. And his brother-in-law, who uh, had a friend who played bass. So we all met up there in Europe, actually in this teeny little town in Norway, with our first gig. And uh, Joey had spent one day with these guys uh, before the tour, and just to go over the songs. And my first rehearsal with them was our first show. Uh-huh. Bergen, Norway, actually, and it was it was unbelievable because it was the first time I'd ever heard our songs with all the instruments, you know, playing at once, and uh, so it, it it definitely brought us to a different level. And um, I guess this must have been like uh, ninety nine uh-huh. or ninety eight, and um, so that was really exciting. Are any of those players? I mean, are those the guys that wound up? being assimilated into the, the new incarnation of Calexico? Yeah, absolutely. Just... Okay. Uh, Paul Niehaus was a pedal steel player for Lamb Chop, and he's been with us ever since. Uh-huh. And uh, Martin Vank on trumpet and Volker Sonder now on are bass. They, they live in, in uh, the latter two live in Germany. Oh, my goodness. Paul Niehaus still lives in Nashville. So, so in the current incarnation of Calexico, you have guys who live in Germany. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I've, I've worked with bands... Um, you know, where they lived in, you know, there were four members of the band and they all lived in different cities, which was very, very interesting. And the crew members too. So every time we would meet up for a tour, you know, sometimes the first time we'd see everybody was like in the hotel lobby. Right. You know, and that's, that's, that's something, you know, again, with, you know, cheap-ish air travel and the Uh internet and being able to communicate with people so readily, um, you know, it's, it's possible to have bands. So, um, so let's let's do this. Let's let's kind of ground ourselves in some music a little bit, so we have a point of reference. What I'd like to do is get to playing something. This is kind of early Calexico. Uh, I picked something from Hot Rail. This is um, this is the track El Picador. And now, did, is this something that Joey wrote, or something that I mean, do you contribute to writing too, or is this a band effort? Like, what? Tell me just real quick. What like what was the genesis of this tune? It was pretty much um, Joey and I put this together. I think we had an idea that we wanted to. Well, we'd been kicking an idea with the whole album concept. Um, it's kind of loosely based on uh, Death in the Afternoon uh, by Ernest Hemingway. Uh-huh. We've been reading that book and, and uh, studying the bullfights and the different stages of them. And um, this song just had that kind of building up to uh, a certain point, and then it has these great breaks that the drums get to, to do a little something and... Uh, so it was a lot of fun. It's, it was a lot of fun to, to record the song, and then when we started playing it live, it became a real, a 
real fun one yeah. to do live. And, uh, you know, instrumentals, it's always great to give Joey a break from singing, and it's, it's great to give the audience or the listener a break from hearing yeah. lyrics. It gives you an idea, uh, a chance to reflect on what some of the other songs are saying. So, and I and I definitely think you know bands who are good enough players to be to have instrumentals in their catalog, you know, it's very indicative of the fact that they you know that they not only do they know how to play because it has to be musically interesting, but they know how to write and yeah. you know maintain the interest of the audience without the vocals because you know for so much of pop music, if there's no vocal, it's dead in the water. So, yeah. and it's something that Colexco definitely does in spades. So let's play this track. Uh, this, this is El Picador from Colexico's Hot Rail. And that is El Picador from Calexico from the Hot Rail record. I have 
John Covertino here on Independence Day. Uh, This is a special edition of Independence Day. I'm not exactly sure when this will wind up airing, but we're doing this on tape. John has been gracious enough to join us from uh, on telephone, rather, via his home in Tucson, Arizona. So welcome back to Independence Day, John. Thank you again for being here. Great to be here. Awesome. So we were talking before the break about, you know, kind of the origin of Calexico, how you guys got together, started out as a two piece and then kind of grew from, you know, the other guys from the band Lamb Chop in Germany. And are they German citizens? Are they Americans working over there? Like, like how did that, how does that work? They are definitely German citizens. They're a hundred percent German. And <laughs> they, uh, you know, at first would come over here when we do tours and kind of come over as tourists. Uh-huh. But uh, as the band got more populated, populated, popular, we had to uh, start getting them work visas and, uh-huh. and do it, you know, legal and everything. And uh, but for them, it was great. You know, they to to be able to come over here and and see the U.S. and it was great for us because they always had this um, European slant on things, um, which was at times really funny, like. Yeah. Joey and I used to wear white socks all the time, and they were just like, oh, you Americans wear white socks. <laughs> Ridiculous. And we were yeah. like, why? I mean, they're just socks. And, yeah. But, you know, after a while, we realized black socks is definitely a better way to go. Yeah, I, I have friends from Florida who never wear undershirts under their collared shirts. <laughs> like in, in my hometown of Chicago, they would never wear T-shirts under their shirts, and it would be like 17 degrees, and they wouldn't, you know, they'd be freezing. I'd be like, man... You know, it's 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 kind of elemental. Just put on a T-shirt; it helps. It's the bottom layer. It's layers, man. Yeah, for sure. That's where it happens. So, so it's a good thing, though. I guess you know the Germans. All the Germans I've met speak fluent English, so that must have been the case with these guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. They uh, speak spoke great English, and uh, Joey had was um, had learned a little bit of German in, when he went to university, and uh, uh-huh. so he was picking up more German from them, and. Uh, which was great because he could speak a little German at shows when we were playing in Germany, and that that always helps. That know. definitely ingratiates you to foreign audiences. I found is when you speak, you know, any any little like nod in the tip of the hat to the the, the, the language locally, you know, yeah. bad and crowds crunch that up. And music crowds, I found, you know, they're the music listening is different in Europe. You know, you've got all these bands. The example I always think of is Dire Straits. Like they're, you know, they're big in the states. They certainly sold a lot of records, but they go to Brazil and they play in front of like a hundred thousand people, or they go to Japan, or you know, Japan, or they go to Germany, France, all over, and they they have these huge international followings. It's a huge market. Uh-huh. Yeah, one thing I noticed for for the independents, though, I noticed that in Europe. Um, that the Europeans had kind of caught on to this discovering uh, independent bands on their own, you know, without having to look through magazines or or radio stations telling them, you know, this is what to listen to. Basically, they would they would discover things on their own, and yeah, and that's such a treat when you uh, find a band that you really like and you kind of feel like nobody else. Uh, it's kind of like discovering a, an author, you know, that nobody yeah. else. You feel like you're in, let in on a secret, and I kind of feel like maybe that's not as easy or isn't as happening as much as it was, you know, back in the in the late '80s and during the '90s. That's interesting. I, I feel like you know, I almost feel the opposite way okay. that that there's 
you know, there's there's a lot of great, you know, the stuff that's out in big radio, corporate radio now is probably as bad as it's ever been, as far as I can tell. And, but yet, you know, and it's the internet is a, this cross cut saw that like inundates the market with people and, and artists at the same time that it allows you to hear about things that you wouldn't normally hear. So, you know, for every time that I curse the internet, you know, damn you internet for you know, making it harder to be a band or an artist. It works the other way too, because there's a lot of great music out there, but you have to work harder than ever to find it, but yet you also have this channel that allows you to, to look. Um, uh, it used to be like when I was in high school, you know, God help us, the only way that we found out that a band was having a new album come out was like Rolling Stone or um, like the local dork at the local record store. And, and right. trusting that guy to know what's coming out really wasn't, you know, he knew them when the new Poison record was coming out, but he certainly didn't know when the next you know, REM record was coming out when they were, they were underground at one point. It's hard to believe, but it's true. I know, I know it's true. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's kind of like, I guess with the, the social networking too, um, with Facebook and MySpace and YouTube, I, I'm, I'm not as much, uh, involved with that. Stuff. Yeah. Yet I'm not. I only lasted about three days on Facebook. <laughs> um, our bass player Volker Zonder in Germany. He's um, been working with. He has his own uh, label called Apparent Extent, and he really uses those uh, mediums to, you know, inform people of shows and inform people of new releases. Uh-huh. And, and I've sensed this kind of really great underground um, concert going uh, new way of getting bands to people where it's not so much a club, not so much a, a theater, but more like in stores or cafes or even people's houses. Yeah. Uh, that's more, uh, you're a little bit more able to do those kind of really small intimate things through the social networking. And that sounds great to me. I mean, that's, yeah. that's Thing because I noticed for Calexico when we kind of got out of that more intimate crowd into more bigger crowds, um, I started to feel like we were losing something. And I don't think we ever, we've never really gotten huge like Arcade Fire or something. But still, you know, just over 3,000 people, you start to feel like what's happening up here on stage? Are we really connecting? You know, are we really making a good connection with the with the crowd? Is it sounding really good? Are we able to be as subtle as we were um, when we were playing for smaller crowds? So yeah, and the expectation changes, I think, for, you know, for the audience, or at least your perceived expectation as the performer. Um, you know, I know Roger Waters. You know, as big as Pink Floyd got, believe it or not, they used to play small places, and that was the whole genesis of the Wall was this concept of as you know they were playing bigger and bigger and bigger places, and he just couldn't connect at all anymore. You know, and music being this thing from the heart and a thing that we all love to do so much, um, and it's it's hard to lose that. Yeah, I think it's, it's to, to play smaller clubs, to, to play the theaters. We did a, a a tour of these theaters in Spain, which kind of just completely rejuvenated me for playing live. It just these theaters sounded so good, and the crowd was the crowds were great because you could sit there. And, in the theater as a and watch it as a theater going type person or you could 
you know, there was a section down there where you could stand and, and uh, dance. If you uh-huh. to dance. So you had the, the perfect combination of both worlds. It seems so, yeah, America seems like it's so rigid. Uh, you know, half my family had oral tradition of music where you'd go to the, the, the family reunion and people would just bring out guitars and mandolins and fiddles right. and they would just play. But then the other side, you know, like the, the, the more like European, uh, Lithuanian side is my, my mother's side. You know, they, they somehow didn't retain the music. I mean, my mother sang all the time, and, you know, she's the one that played the Beatles for me on my little record player and, and really got me started in a lot of music and sang in choirs. And, but, but the oral tradition of music mostly came from my father's side. That's like the Scotch-Irish side, and they, they still retain it. I mean, you can yeah. travel through the American Southeast and, and, and find a bunch of guys hanging around in a gas station playing, yeah. playing Merle Haggard tunes and, and old tank tunes, yeah. and it's, it's, it's such a strange thing in America. We've become so compartmentalized. Um, so now tell me, and I have a couple of questions. What are you, at what point did you guys make the switch to being full-time musicians that you were doing this? Like when did you have your last day job? Mm, my last day job. Well, actually when I moved to Tucson, um, I was, wasn't quite making it as a musician. I was kind of riding both sides. Um, when I lived in LA, I worked for the city of LA for a while, for a few years, which was an incredible experience. I worked at Elysian Park and, uh, you know, basically keeping the park clean and, and doing some tree trimming. And as funny as it sounds, that sounds very peaceable. That sounds very peaceful and, and, and nice. I actually really dug it. I, I loved that job. And I loved the people I worked with. They were such, it was just such great characters and yeah. such great stories. I mean, you know, being a city worker, you, you're not working, you know, the full eight hours. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we had some incredible barbecues out there in the park, but <laughs> you know, from there I, I worked in the in the business. I got a I started working as a PA and art department stuff on commercials. But when I moved to Tucson, um, Giant Sand had already done a few records that were doing pretty well, and and um, we were able to to make a pretty good living by touring Europe, and um, so. But in between times, I would work, you know, for my landlord, uh, you know, painting houses and stuff like yeah. that. So that was probably my last day job. So, but how far into Calexico was that, I guess, is the, is, the, is the question. Well, by the time Calexico was happening, we were, we were doing okay with Giant Sand. You know, we kind of had to make that transition when we realized, well, we got two bands going here now, and they're both popular, and this is the... You know, it was getting too difficult to to plan out um, tours, and, yeah, and recording schedules. And yeah, yeah. It it was it it was a pretty difficult time actually to try to figure out how we were going to do that and how you know we were going to was Giant Sang going to break up, you know, or and because how many how many members were overlapping? Well, it was just Joey and I basically. Okay. I mean, how has always been kind of. He's the main Giant Sand character. He wrote the songs. He wrote all the songs. Uh-huh. And um, he had multiple different rhythm sections before Joey and I were in the band. And he's had quite a few different rhythm sections since we've been in the band. So yeah. um, I think it was, you know, part of the, the ease of being able to do that was at that time, Tucson... Uh, rent was very cheap, and your overhead was really low, 
and uh, especially coming from L.A., where you really had to make that buck a day or else you would sink. Yeah, when I leave Los Angeles, I feel like everything's free. Yeah, it's true. Well, you leave Los Angeles and go to Tucson, uh, you know, in the in the late 80s yeah, or early 90s, and it, it is free. It might as well have been yeah. free. Yeah, tantamount to and free. It's such a great, it was such a great trip. It was, most of the time I would take the train. Um, you could take Amtrak from L.A. to Tucson and walk across the street and check into the Hotel Congress. Uh-huh. About 25 bucks a night back then. <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, you know, it was just, Anyway, it just made more sense to live here in Tucson than yeah. to live in And then, LA. but so, so, but the the move to Tucson was precipitated by Giant Sand, or was that? Pretty much, yeah. How moved here, How was from here as a teenager, and he moved to L.A. Um, in the 80s to, to get his band going, and his drummer at the time didn't move out there. So he moved into the same apartment building I was living in, and uh, that's how we met. You know, it's funny, being a drummer, not in a band, and just trying to find a band, I'm trying to, you know, answer all these ads in the recycler and stuff. And yeah. This is, this is an important... Pretty brutal. Yeah. This is, this is a very important distinction for our younger listeners, or even for our older listeners. There was no Craigslist. Right. When you had to find band members, you know, back in the day, I can remember, like... Making these like crazy mimeographed, photocopied things where you'd cut the little slits in the bottom of the sheet, and then you have to put your phone number sideways. There was no email addresses either. Again, I know. here comes grandification again every week. Me yeah, being, me being an old guy, but like it was a very, very, very different thing. You had to go to the record store and then like get permission to put the damn thing on the wall, and then hope that some Yahoo called, and then. It was hard. It was, it, it was, it, you know, Craigslist, again, the internet has made things harder and easier at the same time. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's just, you know, trying to answer those ads in the paper and then realize that the, the next band I was going to be in moved into the apartment building. You know, that's kind of how these things work, I think. Proximity, my friend, proximity. Yeah, yeah. So as fate would have it, you know, yeah. eat. Hal thought that the drummer that he needed for the band was right across the hall from him because there was a drummer that lived across the hall from him. Yeah. And, um, but that guy wasn't interested. It was the drummer that was two floors up. <laughs> as well as the, yeah, well, you were, you were close enough, so it, it seems to <laughs> That's have, right. I had to move to the second floor it, before I actually got into the band. <laughs> well, you know, what was it? Poop rolls downhill? Is that the, is that the, the G-rated <laughs> yeah. version of that phrase? So you're moving on up, man. So, well, you know, it was just such a great, it was such a great band. He, he, you know, I asked him if he needed a drummer, and he said, you know, that I, I was available, and he said, well, what do you play? And I said, well, you know, I, I played in a family band. We played a lot of Top 40, but we also played gospel and country, and, you know, my dad was a pianist, and he had a lot of jazz records, so, you know, I, I can play just about anything. I'm into anything. Yeah. I'm open. He was like, oh, that's perfect, you know. And uh, it turns out that he really, he plays all different kinds of styles. I don't know if you're familiar with Giant Sand. I'm not, I mean, a little bit. I've read a little bit about him. I'm not terribly familiar. But I I think with a lot of the bands in the 80s, Giant Sand is one of those bands that I think still, you know, Uh stands at the time, like X or like The Minute or like, you know, these are these are the bands that were more on the fringe or more underground. Yeah. 
to me, still sound really great when I hear those records. Yeah, the band I always think about in terms of that kind of lineage that's still around is, uh, is and it's a perfect example of like the Calexico giant San Nexus is, is uh, Camper Van Beethoven. Yeah. Because they, you know, they had some success. They toured around, you know, did okay, did one like a record for Virgin, I think. And then they, you know, they pulled the plug on the whole thing. David Lowry right, went right into Cracker, played with them for 10 or so years, had a few hits, fought with the record label, and then um, wound up. Now they've got this kind of like, collective that's that it's kind of like the same band the guitar player johnny hickman i know when they do camper tours he plays along david Immergluck, who does stuff with counting crows and other folks and played with john hyatt you know he's kind of part of the whole thing so it's like when they go to do tours now now they do like a camper cracker tour and they all kind of tour together and that's it, i guess it kind of cuts down on band members and overhead it seems yeah so well, you know anything that makes it work i think you know it, we have to keep playing live yeah. i think that's that's probably our main reason why we had as much success as we had is that yeah. we really hit the road hard. Yeah, and, it, and once we got that band together, that core band, and, right? And it was a unit. Man, we were just we were in that band for months. Yeah, and in 2011, you know, that was probably a while ago, but in 2011, it's such a key thing because that's where bands are making their bread and butter these days. Because record labels aren't really doing what they used to do. A and R doesn't exist like it used to. The internet is, hasn't really been monetized yet. So folks who are, are successful are, you know, bands who are on the road a lot or bands who just have their music in soundtracks and TV shows. That seems to be the other revenue stream that a lot of people are doing. So, but let's, let's, uh, let's pull it back in just a little bit. I'd like to play another track. I mean, um, you did, Calexico did a comp, or, excuse me, not a compilation. They did a, um, not a combination. What, what word am I looking for here? With Iron and Wine. Collaboration. Collaboration. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. I, knew, I knew it was a C word in there somewhere. Uh, so you guys did a collaboration with Sam Beam from Iron and Wine. Tell me real fast, how did you get how did, how did you get hooked up with him? Well, this uh, goes to Howard Grenolds. He uh, was a friend of ours uh, from Chicago, and he was uh, in, he had his own label for a while, like a singles only label, uh-huh. and he was really interested in in uh, what Calexico was doing um, early on, and we had done. Um, single for him and he he just he's one of these guys when when we met him as soon as we met him there was an instant connection there and uh and he just has always had great ideas and great musical sensibilities and um for example on our first record uh he he heard one of our outtakes and he's like oh this has to be on the record you know just do me a favor and put this on the record and and uh it's a song called over your shoulder and and um, it turned out to be one of, you know, the favorite tracks on the record. And uh-huh. he just always had really good ideas. And so he he came up with the idea of combining um, Calexico with uh, Sam Bean. So did he know Sam, like, before, prior to that? or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had, I'm not really sure how he hooked up with Iron and Wine, but uh, he... I think Sam at that point was had a had a, a surplus of songs from from one of his records and wanted to do something different with them. Uh-huh. As I think that's what he how he put it to uh, Howard and Howard said, "Well, why don't you go to Tucson and uh, record him with uh, the Calexico guys?" And he's like, "Okay, I'm into that." And, and uh, so that record took about a week to make, and um, it was very seamless and and really. Uh, really simple, you know, um, 
part of the reason why, for me, I, I really love that record because there wasn't a lot of time deliberating over it. We, yeah. Sam basically played us the song, and then we would uh, play, it, play it together in the studio, and that was it. You know, we did some overdubs, but, you know, we didn't kill, beat ourselves over the head with overdubs. Yeah, and we're talking about the, the album's name is uh, In the Rains, which was the collaboration between Calexico and Iron and Wine. We're going to hear a track from that momentarily. Um, but now, when you did this, were you, does, does Calexico, do you have your own, like, project studio that you work out of, or did you rent, uh, rent, rent space at a studio there in Tucson? Yeah, we, we have a studio that we work here. Um, it's called Wave Lab Studios. Uh, it's the same... Uh, engineer uh, Craig Schumacher, who mixed uh, the Circo okay. soundtrack, he also mix, mixes all the Calexico records as well. And this is this is kind of inside baseball, but we do talk about making music on the show. Are you guys a Pro Tools room? Are you a tape room? Are you old school? What's your thing? Well, definitely, we come from old school. We, uh, I think, Craig Schumacher from Wave Lab is one of the one of the last. Um, people to switch over to the digital realm. Um, kicking and screaming. And, and he still has, yeah, kicking and screaming, definitely. But he still has his machines um, oiled and ready to go. And Joey and I have been talking that we really miss that that feel of the tape. For me, more than anything, I miss the, the way the red light, the way the tape uh-huh. um, brings out a performance. It keeps you honest, I think. You know, knowing Absolutely. that you can't go in and, you know, put a plug-in on that removes, you know, the suck processor. Yeah. You know, the DSR-1000, you know, you set it to sucking at 15K and it removes all the crappy notes you played. I, and know, that... I know exactly what you're saying. And so, I'm, you know, we, we have both. We do both, basically. Yeah. But um, for, I think for our next record, we're definitely going to do basic tracks. Yeah. Technology Still has them. You can use its power for good or for evil. Absolutely. So let's let's actually let's play a track from the, the in the range record. This is the track "Dead Man's Will." Um, we've got uh, this is uh, Independence Day. This is John Convertino from the band Calexco. He's the drummer and he plays some other instruments on for for them as well with them. And we're going to play a track from their co- collaboration with Iron and Wine. This is "Dead Man's Will." One, two, three. Give this
that is the track Dead Man's Will from the record In the Rains. That is a collaboration between Calexico and Iron and Wine. Sam Beam, the main guy behind Iron and Wine, started out in Miami. I think he lives in Austin, Texas these days. And Calexico, which is a fantastic band based out of Tucson. They have their origins here in Southern California and are currently based in Tucson, although they do have members from the European Union, which is a very, very interesting way to have a band in 2011. Again, we have John Convertino. He is the drummer, and he also plays some other instruments with Calexico. What else do you do? I, I took a quick look at some of the liner notes on these. You, at least for the Circo record, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, which is the soundtrack for that movie that's coming out this week, I believe. Do you, I mean, you're, you're, you're credited as playing drums and some piano and something else. I mean, what, 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 what do you do? Well, uh, I mentioned the accordion earlier, and my father was an accordionist, and uh, Joey's grand grandfather was an accordionist, and um, so we we have a couple of accordions laying around, and um, so I play accordion, I play vibraphone, um, and um, various percussion stuff, um, but um, I think for Circo. You know, the accordion really became elemental for the soundtrack because obviously the, the movie takes place in Mexico, and, uh-huh. and there's a there's that interesting German Mexico connection there. Yeah, that goes back a long way. I remember, I remember studying that in history class, where the accordion wound up down there, and well, obviously the polka and you know, you can hear how that's influenced Mexican music. Yeah, and it's it's it actually doesn't stop there. This is uh, the 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 brewing style in Mexico is primarily German brewing styles. You see a lot of you know box and that sort of thing. Um, that's that's definitely a connection that way as well. So. Yeah. Now for this, now this this is Air, you know Aaron Shock is the director of this movie Circo. It's coming out very very soon. This is a, a movie about like a Mexican circus troupe that goes back a pretty long way, and yeah. they're, they're, it seems to me they're they're trying to hold on kind of in the new millennium, competing with all the other types of entertainment. And now I haven't seen this yet. It's not really available to us yet, but you know this. How did how did this director find you? Were were you fans of his, or was he fan, was he fans of Calexico? How did that collaboration start? I think he was a he was a fan of ours, and it it really made a good uh, mix. It was a perfect match uh, for uh, various reasons. I think um, for one thing, you know, we blend a lot of different styles of music in our music, and this is a documentary about a family and uh, uh, that's trying to keep their business going, which is a circus and. Uh, it's very, very much like what we're, we do. I mean, we're, we're really closely related to uh, our families and uh, tradition. And um, so when he approached us about doing this, I liked the idea uh, that it was a circus. And when I actually saw the first rough cut of it, I thought that, um, that this was a perfect match. He'd used a lot of our music as temporary music, uh-huh. so most of it actually was uh, was us already. So I was like, "Oh yeah, that that makes sense." Now, is Aaron well, the director? 
Go ahead. Is Aaron the director? I'm sorry. Is Aaron the director? I mean, is he a musical guy? Uh, you know, is he someone who's like a big fan of music and then therefore wanted to incorporate that? Because like some directors, I know Scorsese does that a lot where when he's even thinking about writing a scene or like preparing to, to cut a scene, he thinks about the music as being an integral part of what's happening. And is, is that how shock works as well? I think so. I think he, music was definitely very important to him. Um, not a musician, so it was kind of fun uh, hearing him describe uh, over the phone what kind of sounds he was wanting or what kind of feeling he was trying to get in certain scenes. Um, a lot of times Joey would just be there with the guitar and we'd have uh, Aaron on the speakerphone and, you know, Joey would play different chords and Aaron would say, oh yeah, that, that kind of sound or that kind of feeling. Interesting. So what you're telling me is that most of it was all the collaboration done kind of over the phone? Was he, he was somewhere else for no, all of it? No, no. There was just a few scenes where, you know, most of the scenes we got, we nailed it, you know. He was, he was happy. But there was a few where he was like, well, this isn't, quite, this isn't quite what I was looking for. I was looking for, you know, maybe if you could take that, whatever that sound is that sounds like scraping, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, he couldn't identify, you know, the names of, of all the instruments, but, um, but so, we worked like that for, for some of the scenes. Yeah, in, in some ways that seems like that might make for some kind of happy mistakes where, you know, because he's looking for something, he can't really explain what he's looking for. It might inspire you as the, as the artist to come up with something you wouldn't normally do. Is that, is that kind of the case maybe or no? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there was a couple of scenes where, you know, we thought, oh, this our what we thought was perfect for the scene, you know, wasn't at all. And yeah. what he wound up using or wanting was something completely different. So that that's the fun of it. That's what makes it really fun. Yeah. Why don't we let's hear let's hear a little bit of something from this. This is Calexico. The soundtrack is coming out. Are you guys releasing this on your own label, or is this coming out on the regular label that you guys are on? Well, it's 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 available on our website. Okay. And. Um, and we were going to be selling it at, at shows, of course. Okay. But I'm not sure if it's going to... It's not on a, an official label or anything. Okay. But this is uh, music from the movie Circo, and this is the band Calexico. This is... Uh, well, it's track 15. We're doing a little thing we call Needle Drop here because I actually haven't heard these this material. I just got access to it this late this afternoon. We made this interview, or we, we booked this interview. So... Um, this is track 15. If I, this is Spanish. I'm going to butcher this. I know it. Uh, Perseverancia, which I think probably translates pretty loosely to perseverance, I would guess. Yes, that's it. Okay, so let's play this, and we'll come back here uh, with John Convertino from Colexco. So this is track 15, Perseverancia. <laughs> <laughs> That is the track 
Perseverancia, which I think that's probably the, my best hack at doing that. I did take Spanish for two years, believe it or not, but it's been a very, very, very long time since I did that. I can function. I can order tacos and I can order beer and, you know, <laughs> where's the bathroom, that kind of thing. But that's uh, this is all music from the movie Circo, which is coming out this week from director Aaron Schock. And we've got John Convertino again on Independence Day. So like in terms of that, I mean, that's uh, there's a little bit more percussion. I did give a quick listen to some of these tracks. Um, you know, were you guys all in a room and then you just decided like what needed percussion or did the, did the, the film dictate that? Like what was the, the creative process for, for aligning these tracks with the stuff that was on screen? Well, you could hear, obviously that song is very, uh, accordion driven and, uh, and it's a scene where, uh, they're, they're really trying to persevere. They're trying to, I think if I'm not mistaken, they're, um, they're kind of caught in uh, in some rain, and uh, one of their wagons is stuck in the mud, and and you really just uh, you're sensing the um, the hard work that it takes to uh, to keep this circus going, and um, I mean I could, I could relate to that. Yeah, but it's so it's so much like a band. Yeah. it takes so much work to keep a band going. You gotta you gotta drive to the gig. Just like those guys got to get to their next um, town, yeah. their circus. We got to get to our next gig. You got to pull the gear out. You got to set it up. You know, you got to get it. You got to get everything happening. You got to play the show. You got to tear it down. You got to pack it back up. And many times, if you're on the road in the states, especially, you got to drive two or three hours after the show. Yeah. So I mean, I, Joey and I were looking at these guys. You know through this documentary, trying to keep their circus going and, and could totally relate to it. It's so much, yeah. so much like a band because they're a family as well. And as you know, being in a band, you become very much like a family. You yeah. become very close to these people. And, uh, yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of ways to relate to this, um, this movie, and I felt like the, the music that we were putting to it came from that same kind of place where, where we're uh, drawing from tradition, we're drawing from uh, hard work, we're drawing from just the road, being, yeah. being exposed to it and feeling it. Yeah, so. I think I think that you know the, these themes definitely resonate. You know, from the music that I've heard and you know hearing you talk about it in my own experience, it's it's definitely the case. Uh, you know, being in a band is, is hard work, and it is like having a family. It's like being married to people. It's like being married to six different people, um, yeah. you know, because people, you know, and, and in show business also, you've got situations where, you know, the show must go on, and you might not be feeling particularly well, or maybe you had a, a lost a member of your family, or you're fighting with your girlfriend or wife, and you still have to go out, and people have paid to see you. You, you kind of feel the sense of responsibility to go out and perform, um, and it definitely resonates in this music as well. So let's let's play another track from here because I'd like to like to dip into a few of these. That's kind of like the heart of what we're getting at today. Uh, this is Casitas Mexicanas, which is I think translates loosely to Little Mexican Houses. I think yep. oh, probably pretty close. Uh -huh. Yeah. See, I can navigate. I can navigate. So let's play this, All and we'll right. talk a little bit about that afterwards.
Casitas Mexicanas from Calexico, and we have John Convertino, the percussionist, drummer, and multi-instrumentalist from Calexico on Independence Day tonight. So that was the track Casitas Mexicanas. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, you've been you've been touching on this thing with accordions quite a bit. Um, did you get to play accordions on these things too, or is this kind of, yeah, kind of a actually, hot potato? Yeah, both those both those songs were uh, were me playing accordion. Joey plays accordion as well. Um, he plays it much better than me, I think. Uh-huh. Um, is but this, is it's this a different a... style. It definitely has a different uh, a different. He, he comes from a different place with yeah. the instrument. Now, are these are these button accordions, or are these keyed accordions, or a mixture of the two? These are piano accordions. Okay. Um, yeah, I have never played a button accordion. I know most of the uh, most of the players down in Mexico play the button accordions. I yeah, I, I've got a couple myself. I have no idea how they play the button ones. It's uh, uh, it's kind of a different thing, more like a harmonica. You have a, a different note coming in and out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. As if it wasn't complicated enough to begin with. Now, do you do the left? I always, I always kind of joke like, do you do the left hand stuff too with the bass buttons? Oh yeah, yeah. The left hand was doing the and then the right does the does the melody. Yeah. So you're you're a fully functional, legitimate accordion player, much unlike myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm a hack. I you know I've got a couple, and I love the I love the timbre of the instrument. Like it it lends such great earthy clacky but yet beautiful timbre to, to tracks and I, I have it on I as a producer I drop it on almost everything my artists I work with probably you know I don't want to see that damn accordion again well you hit the nail on the head with it with it being earthy I, I think that it really has that you know the reeds vibrating like a voice uh, uh-huh. um, those those uh, bass notes too sometimes playing a couple of chords on those and holding them out for uh-huh. really long periods of time can really ground something and, and give uh, a scene some tension. Uh, and it's, it's, very, it's a very intimate instrument, in, excuse me, intimate instrument to play as well because it's, it's kind of like, you know, different instruments, uh, you know, like a, like a saxophone you blow into or like a brass instrument, but they're metal. Even though you blow into them and that's like your life breathing into them, to me they, they always felt kind of cold and metallic. Whereas, you know, instruments, you know, like drums were at one point made out of, the heads were actual skin. You know, guitars, you know, they were wooden, they were alive at one point. You kind of pull them into your body. And according to the same way, I mean, it's even more strapped to you than a guitar is. It's like a, it's like a parachute harness. If you've yeah. anyone has ever worn an accordion, you know, especially the full-sized ones, those things, they're, they're formidable. They're heavy. Um, you know, once you undo the bellows, the thing flops to the floor. I mean, it's, it's definitely... Uh, a skill, you know. No one, no one is born knowing how to play accordion, as far as I can tell. I'll never forget the first time I heard my dad playing it, because um, by the time I came around, the accordion was out of fashion, and he'd already moved on to piano. and And he, I'd never heard him play, and I was about eleven years old, and we were visiting uh, my grandparents in Utica, New York, and uh-huh. my grandfather pulled out the accordion and insisted that my dad play it. Playing that thing, and I—it was—I totally got chills. Yeah, people got really emotional. There was uh, a lot of tears, and you know, I was watching my dad uh, change the different um, settings. You know, uh, there was one uh, setting that he could change with his chin. He used his chin to get. Oh my! Tone. And um, it was awesome. It was, you know. 
Yeah. Definitely one of those moments that I will never forget. I, I knew a guy in college who had a MIDI accordion, which to me seems like you're 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 ruining it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Really, I mean, the whole thing is being able to yeah. control the the dynamics through air, yeah. through, like breathing. Do, do we need to devolve so far as to ruin the last bastion of organic instruments? So, and let's, let's see. Well, we've got another track here. Like, because I, like I said, this, is, this whole thing is kind of centered around this whole Circo movie that's coming out and all the, the really, really great music that you guys have done for this. Um, this is Globo de la Muerte, which is, I think, uh, the, balls of de- the ball of death. That's right. Yeah. See, man, I, I knew I'd pull this out of your summer. I actually I made it through Costa Rica. I couldn't believe it. I, I wound up on a trip in Costa Rica by happenstance a few years ago, you know, having not done Spanish other than, you know, you know, yo soy inocente. And I, we managed to navigate. We got around just fine, and it was, it was cool. So I, I'm, <laughs> my arm is hurting from patting myself on the back, but considering the grades I got in Spanish, it's a miracle I got out of that country alive. Uh, so this is Globo, Globo de la Muerte from Calexico on Independence Day. Calexico on Independence Day, and we've got John Convertino, drummer for Calexico here on Independence Day. And that track, I, I think it's so cool. You know, I've done a little bit of scoring over the years, and it's so much fun every time I get a chance to do it. I mean, it's work because you're you're having to fit things to particular times and evoke moods that a director may not be have. You know, may not even speak English. Is trying to explain to you what the music should be like, but at the same time. You get a chance, I mean, for me at least, to use all these little snippets of music that might not be big enough to stand on their own or like force into a song. Or like in that case, it's just a little percussion jam that goes for 30 seconds or so. And you get to just kind of come up with something like incidental music. And, it, and it, it's a place to really put those. I mean, is that, is, I mean, is that how you guys looked at it too? Oh, definitely. And it, it, that's what's so fun about it. Is it kind of takes the, you're kind of relieved of the pressure of this has got to be a, you know, a song, you know, it's, yeah. you're, you're creating this uh, mood or this atmosphere. Um, and for that particular one, uh, the character in the movie is, he has a certain comic, comical sense to him. And that's what we were thinking when we were doing that, that percussion. And the, the Globe of Death is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him before, there, it's like this round cage where a guy goes in with a motorcycle. Oh, yeah, they, they had one of those at Disneyland when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, so, you know, this guy, uh, Tino, he's one of, he's the brother of the main, um, of the ringleader of the circus, and, and uh, he does the, the, the Globo de, de la Muertes, and, um, but he winds up, I don't know if I should tell any parts of the movie, but he winds up leaving the circus. Sp- spoiler the- alert. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of the sad, sad, tragic dilemma, you know, where he's like, I love the circus, but I love this girl, so I guess 
I guess I'm gonna have to leave the circuit. Yeah, well, the the age old choice. I mean, so many so many musician friends of mine. Like the older you get, you know, if you haven't had success in music, the older you get, the, the harder it is to have a band because everybody's married and and you know they'd rather stay home. And I understand. I mean, people with kids. I mean, I, I certainly get it. Um, but yeah. it, it does make it harder. Well, that's what I loved about the movie is that he, this family, like through it all, through the having the kids and the family and trying to keep his marriage together, trying to keep the circus on the road, and, you know, at times losing it all and at times having great performances, he, beyond all that, just had to keep that circus going. And, it, and you know, I feel like... I can totally relate to that because, you know, when it comes right down to becoming a musician or performing, there are times when, you know, you think, why am I doing this? This is painful. This <laughs> sucks. Excruciating, <laughs> you know? That's, I can't and, tell uh, you how many times I've... It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if it's a bad gig or if it's you're having trouble with, your, um, what's, with what's going on at home or if the band is in a fight, or if the, if the van is broken down, there's something that still makes you want to keep going. And keep yeah. Together. And you really get that sense in this uh, movie, and that's why I love it so much. Yeah, it's, it's a compulsion. And I, I think the music you guys did for this is really, really fantastic. I mean, everything I've heard has been cool. Um, you know, it, it fits right in with the vein of the stuff that you normally do, a lot of instrumental stuff. Um, you know, it's really, it really seems to be a chance for you guys to kind of stretch out and use all kinds of ideas. Was this very collaborative with all the members in the band when you guys recorded these tracks, or was it mostly you and Joey, or what? Like, how did it work? It was mostly uh, Joey and I, and um, we, uh, we brought in a couple of um, musicians to help us out. Jacob Valenzuela, he plays trumpet, and he lives here in Tucson, um, so we're able to work with him easier when we're doing stuff here in town and he helped us out a lot with the with the trumpet tracks and um there's also marco rosano he is uh he has a twin brother named dante actually they're, they're triplets and uh they all are incredible musicians they live here in tucson and marco helped us out with um with melodica and bass clarinet uh -huh. baritone saxophone so this is the track Don Gilberto from the Circo soundtrack with Calexico. Let's let's give this a listen real quick.
That was the track Don Gilberto from Calexico's Circo soundtrack. Independence Day returns next week with legendary A&R guy Mark Nathan. Thanks to John Convertino from Calexico, also to the Independence Day staff Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and to Valentino Rivero from Lancer Radio. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Be good to one another. <laughs>